Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Hello, welcome back, my good friends. Thank you for your time today. Please lend me your ears once again as I tell you the true story of a woman who got by with so much that she thought she was invincible, and she might have been right. In Roan County, Tennessee is a city called Oak Ridge. Oak Ridge was established in 1942 as a production site for the Manhattan Project, which was the name given to the massive American, British, and Canadian operation that developed the atomic bomb. Being the site of Oak Ridge National Laboratory and Y-12 National Security Complex, scientific and technological development still plays a crucial role in the city's economy and culture in general. Raynella Bernadine Large was born October 25, 1948 in Oak Ridge to Annie Irene, who was a school teacher, and Dewey Ernest Large, a nuclear scientist, war veteran, and Purple Heart recipient. They had met in college after his service in the Army Air Corps and were married shortly thereafter. Raynella was the second child and had an older sister and two younger brothers. The family lived a relatively uneventful life. Just a typical American family that is least as far as anybody knows, and was a wholesome, loving family. She attended Oak Ridge High School, which was the first high school in the U.S. to be racially integrated. She was considered a likable and good student by all the people that knew her. Raynella graduated in 1966 and went to Eastern Tennessee State University to pursue a degree in nursing. Being known as a crack shot with a rifle, she joined a school shooting team and did well with that. 
This is where she met Ed Dossett, and the two became inseparable, much in the, to the disdain of Raynella's mother, who couldn't stand anything about Ed. She felt that her daughter could do much better than Ed. Maybe that was because Ed had come from an entirely different set of circumstances than Raynella. Ed's mother had died when he was just a little feller, and just two months after that, his father had died from cancer. This left him an orphan to be raised by his aunt and uncle. Despite everything that had happened to him, he was a well-rounded, kind-hearted, and very intelligent young man who even played on the football team by the time he graduated high school and went to ETSU on a full-ride scholarship to play football. It was true that Ed had had it bad for Renella, which he immediately broke it off with his high school sweetheart, who everybody thought that he would end up marrying, and he did this shortly after meeting Ranella. The company would, or couple would go on to marry during their senior year in college. Raynella's mother would go on to not speak to or acknowledge Ed whatsoever for about the next 12 years or so into their marriage. Now that's just plain not liking somebody to the point of making yourself look like a lunatic, in my opinion. Raynella graduated with a degree in nursing and Ed graduated with her in 1969, then went on to University of Tennessee Law School where he finished in 1972. That was when he was able to claim his family farm, which was left to him, I suppose, from the death of his parents. Raynella went on to work as a registered nurse at Park West Medical Center in Knoxville. She also held a social work license to be a social worker. Ed let it be known that he was a farmer first and an attorney second. He practiced law as a defense attorney, but was known to be big on helping those who really weren't in a position to pay big money for a lawyer. Kind of made me think of Ben Mantlock when I thought of him, when I read that one. Being as serious as he was about farming, Ed even single-handedly built a family home from the timber on the farm itself. He did it all by himself, which was no small feat. And I mean did it all, from dropping the trees over, sawing and planing the boards, to putting on the roof and finishing the walls and doors, every bit of it. The only thing that he didn't do was design the house. He had to have an architect do that for him. It was in 1978 that Raynella and Ed had their daughter, Maggie, and by 1982, Ed was running for Knox County District Attorney. That's when his mother-in-law finally decided to warm up to him a little bit. I guess there's an advantage to knowing the future district attorney. Ed won the race and became the Knox County District Attorney, and in 1983, he and Raynella had their own son, Eddie. Ed soon became a very busy man suddenly, and apparently there was cases coming in hand over fist. Raynella joined an elevated and possibly protected status around Knoxville because she had been a respected nurse and, of course, was married to the district attorney. This was about this time that Ed and Raynella became friends with Steve and Kay Walker. Now, Kay was Ed's personal secretary, and yes, it did become that personal. Ed and Kay were having an affair, which led to her becoming pregnant with Ed's child. Being that Raynella by this time was known as an overbearing B.Y. Itch, I got to cut the man a bit of slack here. I mean, you can pretty good have pretty well have a good dog, but every now and then you've got to have a little kindness and petting. 
Now, Kay was mad about Ed, but Ed wasn't about to leave his wife and family, so Kay left the DA's office to stay home and raise the child, who she'd named Kyle, with her husband, Steve, who was pretty much in the dark about the whole affair, too. By this time, Rainella had become friends with a man named David Leith. She would spend her days along with her children over at David's swimming pool, since she had by then retired from her job to raise the now three children that she and Ed had. David Leith was a local barber who owned his own business. He was a high school dropout and was very vain about his appearance. He had been married and divorced because of his lollygagging around with various women. He had gotten hair plugs put in to stave off his baldness, had a facelift and a tummy tuck as well. Then he went to chop wood one day and ended up detaching his retina with a piece of wood bashed him in the face and hit his eye and almost knocked it out. That left his eye scarred and he pretty well wore sunglasses constantly to try to hide that. In 1991, Ed was at work when he began having abdominal cramps and when asked what was going on by his co-workers, he told them that he thought his wife was trying to poison him. After they all left that one off, he finally had to go to the hospital to have it looked at. As it turned out, the diagnosis wasn't good. Ed had cancer on his appendix, which had spread to other parts of his body, and it was terminal. Even though he had a terminal diagnosis, Ed tried to carry on at work, at least as long as he could. Apparently, there was a rash of DUIs taking place around Knox County at the time, so he set up a DUI task force, but before long, he was no longer able to continue working. Raynella took up the torch and began caring for Ed by locking him away from everybody who came around. She told everybody at his office that he was recovering from a simple surgery and not to worry. His cousin came all the way from Illinois to visit the dying man and was turned away by Renella. By July of 1992, Ed was bedridden and semi-conscious, and on July 9th, the local supermarket received a call from Renella asking, asking them to call 911 for her. She said that Ed didn't have a pulse. She'd found him near the corral of the farm, trampled by cattle. This from a nurse who excelled in her field, but apparently didn't know how to call 911 or didn't know the number. Yes, to me, that whole thing just stunk to high heaven. She didn't even try CPR or anything. When the EMTs got there, they found the supposedly bedridden, semi-conscious, and near-death Ed out by the corral, trampled into the dirt by the cattle, and he was sure enough dead. Despite the medical examiner's suspicion about the double indemnity clause in Ed's life insurance policy, his death was ruled to be an agricultural accident by the medical examiner who autopsied him. It was thought that Ed likely died, probably of the cancer, and that Raynella had dragged him out to the corral, threw him in the yard, and turned the cattle out on him to trample him so she could collect double indemnity bonus. Since there was no proof that this, or any, no proof anywhere ever found that there was no, and no real evidence of murder, it was thought uh, it's just best to let sleeping dogs lay. Not to mention that Raynella said that she was so mad at the cattle for killing her husband that she'd shot one of them, even though the police couldn't find a dead cow anywhere or any remnants of one anywhere around the farm anywhere. At the funeral, she acted like she was at a wedding reception, walking around greeting people and commenting that if Ed had lived, he would have been in pain and 
had to endure more surgeries, and that's no way for a man to live. Then Raynella, being in the grieving wife, insisted that Ed be buried on the farm, even though he left his wishes to be buried beside his mother in writing. She also insisted that her good friend David Leith be a pallbearer for Ed, which indeed he was. Just a month later, David, the pallbearer, became David her date when he asked her out, and she went. Poor old Ed's not even cold yet. Then just six months after Ed's death, Raynella married her second husband, David Leith. David sold his house and moved out to the farm with Raynella. No wonder people got upset. She hadn't even had time to change bed sheets yet. During this time, David's daughter found David sitting in his truck on the farm crying one day. She asked him what was wrong, and he told her that he and Rennella were having some problems, but it would all be okay. That's when Rennella's daughter and son, Maggie Eddie, and Eddie, decided to go driving around in a farm truck. Maggie was now 15, and Eddie was 11. Maggie had a learner's permit, but there was no adult in the car with her. They made about one mile before Maggie ran through a stoplight and plowed into another vehicle, throwing Eddie through the windshield and out of the truck, killing him. A family friend witnessed a wreck and ran over to the farm to pick up Raynella and bring her to the scene. When the officers on the scene saw who it was, they wrote the accident up as if Raynella was in the car with Maggie when the wreck happened. You just can't make this stuff up. Maggie? Well, she didn't seem a bit phased by any of it and felt like the whole thing was owed to her. So she learned absolutely nothing from it. To beat it all, the new district attorney even went as far as to attempt to file charges against the other driver. All while the state troopers involved filed charges against Maggie, which were immediately dropped, of course. Then, no, it ain't gonna get any better. In 1995, Raynella found out that Ed had an affair with Kay Walker and that resulted in the birth of her child. Thank God for Ed that she, he was already gone when she found out. Say that much anyway. Raynella found this out just as Kay was in the middle of a divorce with her soon-to-be ex-husband over the fact that he had found out too. Now hold on to your hats, folks. You ain't heard anything yet. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now, after finding all that out, Renella called Steve over to talk about the whole thing. He said that for some reason, she said that she had always known about the affair and that Kyle was Ed's son. Steve never understood exactly what the whole meeting was supposed to be about, but and just wrote it off as plain weird. About two weeks later, Raynella calls him at work and tells him that she's found documents to prove that there was an affair between Ed and Kay, and they would be mighty handy for him to have in his divorce proceedings. She asked him to come over to the farm and get them. In fact, she was so anxious to give them to him that she actually went over to his work and picked him up and hauled him over to the farm herself. As they drove past Ed's grave at the farm, she told Steve that she would gladly stop if he would want to go over and pee on Ed's grave. And Steve politely turned her down at that point. She took him to the barn and showed him an upside-down bucket where these documents were supposed to be under. The poor man walked over to the bucket, bent over to pick him up just as bullets started whizzing by his head. Raynella had opened fire on him. 
He immediately ran like a scalded dog for the woods behind the farm, and he made it. As he stumbled around in the dark, Rainella drove up in her car and started shooting at him again, yelling that she was going to kill him and raise Kyle by herself. The only thing that saved the man was the fact that she ran out of bullets, her being a crack shot and all. This time, Rainella was charged with attempted murder and immediately let out on bond. This scared Steve to death, and he couldn't sleep for weeks, worried about whether or not she was going to come over and finish the job. He would sleep on the couch with a shotgun. She was finally brought into court to face the charges and stood in front of the judge, rolling her eyes and acting like a spoiled, rotten third grader as her attorney tried to help her. Her lawyer was able to reach a plea agreement with the district attorney, and she would plead guilty to the lesser charge of assault. And she served six years on probation, and her criminal record was expunged after it completed. So now she's outright tried to shoot somebody and got by with it, and has no record of anything. After all of that got over with, she and her husband David seemed to be getting along better than ever. When they were married, David had a prenup sign. It was about this time that he tore it all up and rewrote his will, which left everything, I mean every sprig of his being, to Rain Ellen and nobody else. That's right, folks. You can't write this stuff. But they seemed to get along just fine, even when David was diagnosed with a brain infection and had to be hospitalized. She stayed by his side. Of course, she did the same thing with, with him when, that she did with Ed. She wouldn't let anybody near him or tell anybody how he was doing. But aside from that, everything seemed good. Once he was back on his feet, he was even well enough to go to work and back in his barber shop again which he did until he retired and left the business to his daughter. In March of 2001, he was admitted back into the hospital. The doctors thought he was suffering from some type of dementia, so they wrote it off when he told them that his wife was trying to kill him. He did receive treatment and seemed to improve in early 2002. That's when the doctors found that he was getting worse. His speech was slurred and movements were jerky, so he was readmitted for treatment. The rumors ran around town that he was being drugged. After all, Renella still had a whole load of morphine left over from Ed's cancer being or his nurse and all, and she knew how to use it. While he was in the hospital, and unbeknownst to a single person, Renella was diagnosed with cancer. She underwent a hysterectomy and double mastectomy without anybody even knowing it. Not a bit. But David finds out about her being in the hospital at sometime and she was in there when he was as a matter of fact and he goes to visit her and she tells him to leave her the hell alone in fact she didn't take a single visitor the whole time she was there not that they were beating down her door to see her or anything but you know what I mean they both weren't a bit more than out of the hospital when David's mother was diagnosed with cancer uh, when it rains it pours apparently Raynella told David that it wasn't going to be a big deal and that he really didn't need to go see her. Man, this woman just won't quit, will she? By now, that's March 11, 2003, and Renella's walking into the hospital with a big bouquet of flowers to see David's mother. Yes, yeah, sounds funny to me, too. And I mean funny suspicious, not funny ha-ha. On her way home, she just out of the blue calls David's daughter to ask if she'd heard anything from her father. She answered that no, she hadn't, and 
wondered why the heck Renella would ever call her like she did because she's never called her before and never asked her any questions like that either. At about 11.30 that morning, apparently, Rainella learned how to call 911 because 911 received a call from Rainella stating that she found her husband David laying in the bed with a gunshot wound to his head. When the police showed up, Rainella started talking to him about David's dementia, telling him the, about how he'd been depressed and all the good stuff before, you know, they even got to the bedroom to look at the poor man. She even pulled out a journal that she'd been keeping for she had noted every day that David had been depressed and had threatened suicide. As soon as his daughter finds out, she hits the roof, saying that there's a, absolutely no way that her dad would commit suicide, let alone with a gun. He hated guns and was afraid of being around one. No wonder. The oddity that the police noticed right off the bat was that David had been shot right above his left eye, but he was right-handed. The physical evidence suggested three shots were fired from the 38 caliber Colt revolver, but police argued that it was the second shot that killed David. Following David's death, authorities reinvestigated the death of Raynella's first husband, Ed. Now, y'all remember him, the one that was trampled by cattle. A new examination revealed that the morphine levels in Ed Dossett's system were so extraordinarily high that it was unlikely that any human could function in an ambulatory manner or let alone even continue to live. So in 2006, Raynella was charged with administering an overdose of morphine to her then-husband Ed. Why, now, you ask? Well, there was a new medical examiner in town. He came in after the one who did the first autopsy on Ed was caught administering anesthesia to little boys and raping them, of all the things to happen. Apparently, he was too preoccupied with that to carry out a proper autopsy. Two years later, in 2008, Raynella was charged with first-degree murder in the death of her second husband, David Leith. And in May 2009, Raynella Dossett Leith went on trial for the murder of her second husband, David. She maintained that her husband's death was a suicide. After hours of jury deliberation, there was no verdict, and for the love of all there is, the judge declared a hung jury. Raynella's retrial began January 2010. Prosecutor began his opening statement by playing Raynella's 911 call and then explaining why David's death was murder rather than suicide. The prosecutor said three shots were fired and the second killed David instantly. He also told the jury David was also drugged with a combination similar to what was used for patients having surgery. So it appeared that Raynella had put David to sleep and then shot him. In his, this trial, Raynella's defense didn't argue whether or not David's death was a homicide. They hammered on the fact that Randella had an alibi. After a day of deliberation, the jury hadn't reached a unanimous verdict. I know. What does it take, huh? However, on January 25, 2010, Randella Dossett Leith was finally convicted of first-degree murder and was automatically sentenced to 51 years to life in prison. Immediately following the conviction, the charges relating to her first husband's death were dropped. Of course they were. But at least there was some justice, right? Wrong. Raynella appealed for a new trial on the basis of judicial misconduct related to the drug use of Judge Richard Baumgartner, who presided over her trial. She cited the case of Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom, 
which had resulted in all of the defendant's conviction being overturned due to the same judge for the same reason. And to beat it all, Raynella was released on May of 2016, pending a retrial in January 2017. During the retrial, Special Judge Paul Summers looked at all of the evidence presented and then declared, just as the jury was about to begin deliberations, that insufficient evidence had been presented for a guilty verdict and didn't permit the jury to decide the case. Raynella was set free again. She is currently living happily on the same farm, in the same house, still in the same city. So what do you think, folks? Do you think Raynella is a black widow that got away with murdering two husbands, or is she just hard luck Raynella? Let me know. I'd be glad to hear from you, hear what you think. I hope you've enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, please. Please go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com, search Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend, and give it a look. If you'd like to become a member, there are several levels to do so, starting at Mountain Boomer all the way up to Appalachian Hillbilly. Or you can go to the Facebook group, Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend Podcast, where we can discuss anything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder, Mystery, or Legend. Take it easy. See you then.